This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Deep South Dining is the show all about the culture of Southern flavor. From fried chicken and collard greens to shrimp and grits and a glass of sweet tea. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or download our MPB Public Media app. Okie folks, welcome back. Horticulture's fell to rushing, and uh, we're going to be talking about gardening. I got some things to chat to, to yak about. I got some stuff to talk about, but this ain't about me. This is about what's going on in the garden world. So if you've got some things you want to talk about, give us a call. It's toll free one eight seven seven MPB ring. And uh, I've got a I got I got a burr under my salad, but that can wait a little bit. Java, how you doing this morning? Oh, I'm making it, man. It is Friday, and, you know, it's not a lot to complain about on a Friday. We had donuts here. <laughs> we, we have or we had? Now, that depends on the time. <laughs> let's, see, let's see what time it is. <laughs> you know, and, and, and I'm not trying to, uh, to to be persnickety here, but there's the same calories in a heavy, dark, stout ale as in one Krispy Kreme donut. I think That's what I, they say li- life is about choices. I, I'll have half a donut, please, and, <laughs> and pass me that half pint, please. <laughs> anyway, uh, we we got a lot of stuff to talk about, and um, I'm hoping the folks call in and talk today because we could be off next week. Next week is is Thanksgiving, right? Yes, Thanksgiving is next week, and hopefully everyone will be like us and celebrate time with their friends and family. Yeah, I'm gonna make my signature um, asparagus casserole. Um, do you eat asparagus? Maybe if it's in your casserole, I haven't tried this one, Phil. Really? Okay. Well, listen, it's my signature. It and my chili. Those are my two signature dishes. I, I don't know if you know that I won a, a trophy for my chili one time at a sanctioned chili cook-off. Okay, see, now we're peeling back the layers, because I did not know this, Felder. Yeah, yeah, you didn't know I, I was on an aircraft carrier during Vietnam either, well, did I, you? I, I knew that. <laughs> well, anyway, no, here, here's the deal. Uh, Ira, my son, when he was like, I'm going to hold my hand up about this tall, okay, radio, right? <laughs> anyway, um, when he was a little guy, we went to a chili cook-off down at the fairgrounds. It was a sanctioned chili where people pull up in their big trucks and their had their aprons and their stainless steel and all this kind of hula. And uh, we lowered the tailgate of my truck, and I cooked some on the back of an old Coleman camping stove, rusty Coleman ca- stove. No prep, no fancy, nothing, and got third place. Did you pull some stuff out of your truck? No. Or did you have the plants back there then? No, no, no. Well, okay. I, 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 I did, but it was just a little bag of potting soil back then. But anyway, I got a couple of secret ingredients, and it made third place. Now, some people say, well, that's not big a deal. But I'm thinking, first of all, first place, too much competition. <laughs> they fight with each other. They, they, dis, these, they have little things going on between them. Second place. Come on, who cares, right? <laughs> but third place. And you pulled up in your pickup. I pulled up in my pickup. You know, third place, it's, I got a trophy, but people don't expect it to be too good because it's just third place. So I'm win-win, uh, pride in my mediocrity. Well, I'll just, you beat out of a, a couple other people didn't get trophies, so there you uh, go. Yeah, about 40. But <laughs> anyway, uh, that's, that's my chili story. By the way, one of my secret ingredients is when you cook it, you let it cool completely down, and then you heat it back up again because it tastes like leftovers. 
Now, that's the thing about Thanksgiving, too. Leftovers are a key component. Now, everybody's ready for Thursday. Yeah. But what you got going on Friday is yep. just as important. And that's when the flavors all meld together. And also, anyway, uh, Java, there's something that came up this past week that brought to my attention that um, I, I'm, I'm neither happy nor sad about. I'm just meh. The United States Department of Agriculture has this thing called the Plant Hardiness Zone Map. Have you ever heard of it? I I see the map you're holding This is just Mississippi. What they do is Department of Agriculture, they have like uh, 1,200 weather stations all over the country, and they record temperature every day. Well, USDA compiles the temperature, and they see what is the lowest temperature in any given place on average every year. Okay, so like last year, it got like eight degrees in Jackson. Well, they don't count that. They look at 30 years of averages. What's the average low temperature in any place in the United States? And then they break it up into zones, ten, like five zones or ten zones or something. You know, and if you're in zone one, that's like Canada. It doesn't. It never stops freezing. Uh, Florida, zone 10, never freezes. Well, Mississippi is zone 7 or 8 and a little bit of 9, which means it freezes not too bad. So you with me on this? The further north you go, the higher the zone is, the colder it gets in the winter. Anyway, the reason I'm saying that, because people buy plants according to what zone they're in. You know, and matter of fact, it's a greeting. Uh, hi, I'm, I'm Maria. I'm from zone 8. <laughs> People do that. Gardeners do that. They identify themselves with I'm zone 8A or, or zone 7B. They really do that. Anyway, USDA just updated the map, and they shifted everything up half a zone. So if you were in zone 8B, now you're in zone 8A. If you're in zone 9A, you're now in zone Eight something. They shifted it because it's not as cold in the wintertime as it used to be over the past 30 years. Okay, I am <laughs> so happy we have a caller being lined up. Okay, okay. Before <laughs> before before we do this, let me let me tell you why I've got a burr under my saddle. It says that uh, everything a little bit warmer on average one day a year in Mississippi. Here's the average low free. It has nothing to do with whether it gets colder that year or not as cold. It doesn't deal with how long it stays that cold, or whether it's cold early or cold late. Or whether 70 degrees for three weeks and then it gets cold, all of those things are more important to plants than how cold it gets. It doesn't deal with heat, humidity, three in the morning in July. It doesn't deal with heavy rain. Doesn't. So zone is meaningless, except it says it may or may not freeze for you. And that's the least of my plants' concerns, whether they're going to freeze. <laughs> Especially here in Mississippi. Yeah, so anyway, so everybody's getting all excited about the new 2023 USD plant hardiness zone map. If you want it, uh, just just Google it, uh, USD hardiness zone map, and it'll take you right to the Agriculture Research Center. You can print out a copy like I've got. But all it says to me is, hey, probably going to freeze this winter. But what about last summer? We ain't got a zone map for that. Now, that sounds more important. John, if I got on a rant. I just know that Carol from Gulfport has called in, and she wants to talk about her azaleas. Good morning, Carol. What zone are you in? Hey, good morning, Felder. We're here in uh, Gulfport on the the Gulf Coast. Zone 9A. Zone 9A, awesome. (laughs) Well, I finally talked my husband into pulling our azaleas. We've got two out in front that aren't doing so well. Yeah. Pull those out, and I want to 
plant a rose bush. I love roses, and I'm not quite sure if this is the time of year to plant or what kind of rose bushes would grow best down here. Well, that's a, that's a couple of things. The easy answer is you could plant, if a, if a plant's grown in a pot, you can plant it any time of year you can dig a good hole. That's the truth. Best time, we used to say the fall or the winter because that's when people got plants, you know, for, for centuries. They didn't get them in the summertime. Uh, and plants do get established better if you plant them in the fall or the winter before it gets too hot in the summer. So ideal would be winter, early spring, something like that. But you can plant it any time you can dig a good hole. So that's the that thing. As far as what kind of rose, there's just so many different kinds. Climbers, shrubs, miniatures. Uh, there's, there's shrub roses. There's hybrid teas with the long stems. So there's so many different things that go into what you look for in a rose. I prefer what they call shrub roses, the ones that you put in the ground. They do their thing. They don't have long, fancy stems, but they're pretty. Sometimes they're fragrant, all different colors. Some are knee-high, some are taller than my head, but a lot of different kind of shrub roses don't need all the care of the fancy hybrid teas and the and those kind of things. So you know, if you'll send I'll me a yeah, if you'll send me an email, I just got back from lecturing at the Antique Rose Emporium over in Texas, and, and, and you know, and they they sort of began this thing in finding roses that do really, really well, that bloom a long time, that don't get diseases, that smell like roses, and uh, and and will grow in a cemetery, which we did in Jackson. We got a cemetery with uh, over two hundred different uh, two hundred rose plants growing between tombstone. So don't don't get just sucked into whatever's prettiest. Choose something that does what you want to do, the color, the size. Right. Okay. Well, we're going to go to the the big box store. I mean, that's no, what no. we have here. Well, well, if if you're going to do that, let me suggest gently. You go with with something that's like a uh you know, one one of the things that uh that you see in 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 parking lots. Uh, I forget the names of them. They're like floral, uh, floral carpet and and uh, I, I can't carefree carefree beauty. Those kind of low growing bush roses because they bl- and they'll get waist high, but they bloom and bloom and bloom and bloom without having to spray. And then you can put a fancy rose over to one side, and if it lives, great. If it doesn't live, you still got this this other one like carefree carefree beauty comes to mind. Okay, good. I wrote that down. And as far as fertilizing it when we put it in springtime, in, in in general, let's let's fertilize plants at the beginning of their normal growing season. So for most trees and shrubs, we're talking about springtime. If you fertilize okay. them now, uh, they're starting to go dormant, so they can't use a fertilizer, and it'll wash away over the wintertime. So just a rule of thumb, except for daffodils and things that grow over the wintertime, let's fertilize most stuff just sometime in the spring. Okay, well, that's great. Well, thanks so much. It was great talking to you. Thanks, Carol. Oh, I want to I th- th- throw out one other thing. If you'll send me an email, I have a list of roses that have been proven to do well in Mississippi, including all, along the coast, uh, that, you know, they may not all be sold at the big box stores, but they're available. Uh, okay. And, and they're the kind that will not stop. And uh, and that's kind of growing in cemeteries. Anyway, if you'll go to felderrushing.blog, click the little thing that says email me, and we'll take it from there. Oh, that sounds great. Thank you so much. Have a great weekend. Let's have uh, one other thing. Plant you some daffodils in the hole so you have something to look at in the wintertime. Sounds pr- I love daffodils. Okay. okay. Thank okay. you so much. Appreciate it. Bye. Java. Bye-bye. Java, why am I, I'm so excited this morning. What's the deal? I think for the first time in maybe like four days, the sun is actually out. And I got some rain. 
Yeah, now that everybody got a little a little, little soaking. Yeah, uh, yeah, it wasn't it wasn't good enough, but it's it was way better than what than, we had. It's yeah. way more than what I was expecting. So this is a great weekend to get out and actually do some planting. I worked this past weekend with my beloved daughter Zoe. Zoe is a apple of my eye. We went out. We built from start, from scratch. Just bare grass to a little raised bed garden with a fence around it and accessories and all sorts of herbs and winter flowers. It looks great, and these kind of stuff that will grow all winter long with little or no care. We planted a full entire garden this week from stuff we got at garden centers that want to be out there in the wintertime. I got something I want to talk about a little bit later, That that a question that Jim Rosenblatt called about last week, but it has to do with this basil. And it's so fragrant. You 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 made me get it out of your studio. Yeah, you 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 brought it back here, and I was like, wait a minute, this is taking over it's the too room. Too much, too much. I got three, four different kinds of basil, and I'm going to talk about those a little bit later. But first, when we get a frost, this stuff dies. It's gone. My oregano, my my chives, my uh, 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 all these other herbs are out there all the time. This dies, and I want to find out from people who really do this. How do you preserve it over the winter? So if you really do basil and you cut it, you preserve it over the wintertime, we need what we call a folk expert. Folk expert. Call us up and tell me how I should preserve some of this so I have basil over the wintertime. Folk, calling all folk experts. Let's slide down to Slidell, <laughs> to Louisiana and talk with Sheila. Sheila, thanks for holding. How are you? Hi, I'm fine. Good. What's um, up? And how are you? So far, I'm a little excited. I, I had I had my second cataract done yesterday, and the skies are blue again. So, what you got? What's uh, a- so great to hear. Well, my question is about my lawn, and actually, most of our neighbors' lawns. I thought all the di- dead patches were because of the drought. Some of it is, yeah. But, but then a neighbor and, uh, from a different subdivision. Said that they've had had something called brown patch that is going through their neighborhood and killing all their lawns. Well, it, and it could be brown patch is a fungus that affects mostly St. Augustine and Centipede, which y'all have mostly in Slidell. Um, and it's a fungus that spreads when we have a combination of warm days and cool, wet nights which we have in the spring and we've been having the past couple of weeks. So it's a, it's a natural fungus. It spreads when we have this kind of weather. It clears up in the summertime and the wintertime. And the symptoms are, uh, Sheila, it's real, real obvious. The symptoms are it starts out like a ripple on a pond. It starts in a spot and it spreads outward. So there will be usually a real distinct curve or circles, you know, something there's a pattern to it. It's not random. It spreads outward. So if you've got curves or circles out there, that's likely brown patch. Okay, I did try to send a couple of photos of my lawn yesterday. I emailed them to you. I don't know if they got through or not. Unless you went to the was, unless you went to the uh, Felderushing dot blog thing, uh, that's the only way I get emails anymore. Uh, but in, okay. anyway, anyway, that's, you can, you can you can look at it yourself, and if there are distinct curves to it. That's likely yeah. brown patch. And here's the deal. It usually doesn't kill the grass. It, it boogers it up real bad, but it only kills it if we have really bad infestation. And there are fungicides you can put out that will – it won't cure it, but it'll keep it – it'll stop it from getting worse it'll, until the weather changes. Okay. So it's a temporary thing. Um, I would not fertilize the grass until after it's been motor time or two in the spring because fertilizer yeah. tends to fire up the disease because it makes the grass real tender. So let's wait till. 
April before you fertilize. And if it's spreading oh, I, now, use a fungicide around the edges sometime over the winter. Okay, well, this look, I just went out to look, and this looks a lot more like patches and then fingers sticking out from the patches. So would that just be the track? No, it it could be, but it, you know, brown patch almost always has a distinct curve to it. And there's some other things: the chinch bugs, the drought that could have been, you know, the, where the lawnmower uh, you mow the same pattern every time, and where the wheels land, it might be more compacted and make street. You know, there's all, and also frost can cause patterns to to turn brown. We have green okay. and, and pattern brown, so if there's not a curve to it. I wouldn't worry about it. Let's just wait till next April before you fertilize. Okay. Well, that sounds good. Well, thank you very much for your help. Okay. Good luck on it. Appreciate your call. All right. Bye-bye. Okay, now, I, I, when my cataracts are telling me there's all different colors here, and I'm not sure which one, which button. Should I go with the one that looks orange to me or rusty colored? Does it say John from Gulfport? Yes, it does. Well, let's go. <laughs> I can see that. Hey, John, good morning. How are you? Oh, uh, good morning, Chief. Well, I have two quick questions. First one is about camellias. I have a, a bunch of camellias in my yard that uh-huh. were planted 50 or 60 years ago. Yeah. And I, I noticed they're starting to thin out and sending out runners, sending out shoots. Yeah. Is that is that indicating that that plant is dying? Well, they're and sending out shoots from further down on the plant. Yes, from the ground, from the roots. Yeah, it could be. Now, keep in mind, a lot of camellias, a lot of the older camellias are grafted. And if they're coming up from the roots, then it's not going to be the camellia that you like. It's going to be the, whatever the rootstock is. See, so, okay. you know, just like with the roses, you know, the, the top part is grafted. So if it's an old one that was grafted, then it's coming up for the root of just the rootstock. And several things can cause this, John. It could be, you know, the, 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 the hard drought we've had. It could be, yeah. uh, you know, the plants are going to be weak anyway. When you get a, a camellia that's 60, 40, 50, 60 years old, it's weak. And it's more susceptible to drought and cold and too wet part of the year and that kind of stuff so anyway not much i would recommend you do i would definitely cut those off though because they're not going to be the camellia that they're growing off of that's a, that's okay. going to be grafted okay our next question is about persimmon i have a persimmon tree that was a grafted grafted uh a japanese tree. type uh it's about the size of golf balls yeah they're very tasty and all that but can you graft off of a graft tree Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. A graft, a graft tree. They just take a stick off a tree and stick it on the uh, on the root of another tree, and uh, you can you can do you can actually have five or six different kinds of Japanese persimmons on the same tree by 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 grafting them that way. Well, well, I can do this with Meyer lemon. I have Meyer lemons also. I can graft to them. Yeah, but but you can't graft lemons to persimmons. You got to stay within within the family. Okay, thank you very much. Oh, let me, let me throw out re- real quick, John, not just for you, but other people listening. If your plant, your camellias, your ligustrums, if they look bad because of the weather, you can cut them way, way back. It's called rejuvenation, and they can put out strong, healthy new growth. So an old plant sometimes can be cut way back to knee-high, waist-high, and that rejuvenates it. It's actually a good thing. So try that on one or two of your plants sometime over the winter. See how they do next year. Okay, thanks. All right, appreciate it. I'm real excited, Java. Me and the girl planted some stuff in the garden. She got a little raised bed and the the gate to it. We put a little fence to keep the dogs and the squirrels and stuff out. Uh-huh. The gate is one of those old curly top woven wire hairpin fences that came from her great great grandmother's garden. 
Now, that's sweet, man. That's yeah. sweet. Yeah, I told her, if she doesn't want it, I want it back. <laughs> now, let's go to uh, to Ruth, calling from Mabin. Hey, Ruth. <laughs> Good morning, Ruth. Good morning. How are you? I, I, said, uh, I, I, I did a, a portmanteau of Ruth and Mabin. You're about to say Muth from a Rabin. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a portmanteau. Anyway, what's, what's up, Ruth? <laughs> Uh, my question is about watering because I've had to water so much this summer, and I've noticed that the plants that are in part shade and part sun are going to be leaning toward the sun. Yep. To get the best use of my water, I was wondering if their feeder roots, you know, I put the hose <laughs> dipping at the You're going to fertilize just one side of them? <laughs> no, uh, the, the dripper hose I put under the drip line. Where they're le- where the limbs are, yeah. and I don't know if that's where the roots are or are the roots all around. Well, if we're t- talking about typical shrubs and trees, if you stick your arm straight out, wiggle your fingers, that's where the roots are. They're not up close to the shoulders. So you know you're you're watering, and wherever that water goes in the ground, it, it spreads out a little bit, but it goes mostly down in a cone shape. It doesn't fertilize two feet away. See, so uh, a soaker hose, a dripper hose, or drippers are good for smaller plants. But for big plants, you really want to soak the whole area out from the trunks. Okay, so if if all the limbs are leaning one direction and that, the other side that, of the plant has no limbs, that, that's nothing does that to do mean with roots. No, roots. no, no, that's nothing oh. to do with roots. That's that's oh, that's so that's going to be roots on both sides. That's right. They're, they're, the top parts are growing towards uh, is phototropism towards the light. And uh, but right. let, let me give you a, a water saving tip. Most trees and shrubs don't need watering in Mabin, Mississippi. If we go a month without rain, they could use a really good soaking. If we go two months, give them two good soakings. But you don't need to keep watering plants. Normal shrubs and trees are all around you that aren't getting watered on. They're doing okay. They need a good soaking. But if you're watering more than every couple of three weeks on shrubs and all, just way, way too much. They, they, well, they just don't need I, I made it. A, I made a mistake. Sorry. I made a mistake this year by planting shrubs in the spring. I did not know we were going to have basically a three-month drought. Yeah, me either. So I've had to water things. That well, well they're, they're going to need water close to where you plant them because their roots had not had a chance to get out. Right. So uh, right. In, in new plants, let's say a good deep soaking every couple of three weeks, maybe every couple of, you know, maybe once a week right at first, but every a good soaking every two or three weeks is better than light watering every other day. So we want to put the water oh. way down deep and then let the top of it dry out a little bit so those new roots will grow nice and deep. So deep is better than frequent. Okay. Well, that answers my question. Thank you so much. All right. Appreciate it. All right. Bye-bye. Now let's go to Ruth. No, no, that was Ruth. <laughs> go from red to orange. Let's go to Amy in New Orleans. Hey, Amy, good morning. Hey, how you doing? Fine. I'm a little excited. My coffee kicked in this morning, and I just can't settle down. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. I'll make this fast then. I uh, I have I have um, some specimen African blue African basil. Wow. They are the most amazing. They are the most amazing. Wow. Wow. Fabulous. And they'll grow to be like four or five feet tall if you let them. I just happen they, to have. They turn into big shrubs. I just happen to have. Listen to this. That's my African blue basil I brought in today. 
Well, they're amazing plants, but I've never been able to get any to grow from seeds. Well, no, 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 no. Okay, okay, okay. Africa, Africa blue basil is a hybrid. It is sterile. Does it make seed? But it, I, I started some. I took some cuttings last week, earlier this past this week, and within two days they were starting in water. They were starting to show roots in two then days. Then you, then you don't need my advice at all because that was what I was going to tell you to do <laughs> before. Before before the weather starts to get like you know freezy down in New Orleans, I go out and I cut tender shoots, not the woody shoots, but the tender shoots okay. off the end of the plant, oh. and I put them in water and I put them in a sunny window, and I wait until I'm pretty sure that the danger of frost has passed because yeah. it, you're right, you know, you get a hard freeze. That's the end of those basils that are outside. But then you can you can plant them in a pot, or you can just stick them right in the ground, and they will take off. It's been my experience, and, and thank you for that. No, I, this is the first time I've ever rooted any, and I was just I looked at the roots every day, and they've got roots on them. But African blue basil is a it's a bush, and I, I gotta say it is the most frequently visited plant by bees and butterflies and pollinators of. Anything in my garden, hands down. Nothing else beats the African blue basil. And those beautiful flowers. Yeah. You know, those, 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 those spikes, of those, those purpley blue spikes, they just, and you can put it, you put it behind something, you can put it in the middle of something. It's just a very versatile plant. What I love most about it is that when you touch it, it smells fabulous. Well, let me ask you this. Do you cook with it? No, you can't cook with that. I, 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 I'm sorry, I, I've, I've tried cooking with it and been sorry. It's too strong. It's it's, it's bitter. It's yeah. just bitter. It, it really is. It really is just a a, a garden plant. Well, uh, Java ran me out of his his studio when I brought some a little while ago. So strong, but what a great great plant! <laughs> it's hard to find commercially because it's got to be grown mm-hmm. from yeah. cuttings. But it is once you get That's one, right. uh, and but you carry yours over the winter. Uh, like in water, or do you put it in pots after it grows roots? Well, it depends, you know, because if they stay in the water too long, and they start to look kind of sad, and it's got yeah. plenty of roots, but the, but the leaves start to fall off it and get yellow. Yeah, and that's when I know it's time to go in and put it in a pot. But if I put it in a pot in a you know in a sunny place, it it'll it'll overwinter like a champ. Fantastic. I mean, they're hard. They're hard to underwater or overwater. And you're right. I mean, I, the, the, the basils that I have now, I bought 15 years ago at Harold's in New yeah. Orleans, and he's never had any since. Well, so, I, uh, you know, I, I was in England for three months, from early June to early September, and hot and dry. A lot of my annuals died. My three African blue basil plants went through that heat and drought like champs. It's a good right. plant, good plant. And um, anyway, I, I appreciate that. It's a... It's a it, I'm taking mine. I've got the three big bushes. I'm cutting them down, putting them in a big uh, trash bag, taking them out. There's a wholesale grower who said that in return for me getting some plants back next year, if I don't make it, she can root a whole bunch of it. So we're spreading the word. Well, and not only that, here's one more tip. Okay, when you're, when you're, and because you do have to whack that stuff back or it'll take over the yard. <laughs> and then you've got like these big old bunches of extremely fragrant leaves and stems and flowers and things i let them dry out a little bit and then i put them on on top of my barn my, my fire pit and ah. uh when i'm having a fire and it perfumes the air it's really nice fantastic fantastic thank you so much Woo-hoo! this is great thank you now I got a little cheesy tune, Java, and it's because it got me started when I was helping my daughter build a garden, little raised bed, took us a couple of hours, fill it with some dirt, took another 30 minutes, 
and planted a bunch of stuff for the wintertime, and it's time to get busy. Yeah. But let's take Mizey from Hernando. Oh, okay. Good morning, Mizey. How are you today? Hi. Hello. This is Missy. Missy. Missy, yep. I was just calling to say that you can, when you cut your culinary herbs before it freezes, you can make herb vinegar. Good idea. How do you do it? So I'm really, I think you just stuff it in a jar and pour vinegar over it. Hot vinegar, right? Yeah, I mean, I think you probably do need to warm it up some. But you don't. Yeah. You don't, uh, though. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah, what if you want. Yeah, but like you could use a vinegar that has a mother in it, like a apple cider or wine vinegar. And it uh-huh. would be great for, you know, salad dressings or whatever, you know, cook with. Can you do that with like olive oil, too, or just vinegar? You know, I think I know I've seen oil. I, I've seen like garlic and oil. I think you could do herbs in oil. Well, we'll find it. But that's 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 yeah. a, that's a, that's a good way to preserve it because it just turns brown. You can't freeze it or anything like that. But anyway, that's a great tip, yeah. Missy. You can dry them, but you can always dry. You can buy dried herbs so cheap. You know, if you dry your herbs, yeah. you might as well go buy you know a jar of basil at the store. You know, yeah. but a nice herb vinegar is really like you can give it as gift. You know. Good idea. Some of this is pretty too. I throw a little uh, throw a little basil flower in there too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you can put um, lemon or you know oranges in it. Yeah, yeah, that kind of stuff too. Great yeah. tip, Missy. Great, great tip. Thank right. you so much. Okay, thanks. All righty. And now questions never act well actually asked by Jim Rosenblatt. <laughs> <laughs> last last week he called and wanted to know what makes flowers smell or what makes leaves smell and i'm thinking from sweet floral notes to putrid rotting flesh (laughs) anyway i did a lot of research on this because i knew it was some kind of essential oil and and by the way people are not the reason why plants smell you know they it's uh it's how they communicate with each other they produce these volatile organic compounds real complex chemicals uh that they're really small and they evaporate and they float up in the air. That's what we smell when the leaves are disturbed or something. Um, anyway, here's something I wrote down. Scents can come from petals, stamens, foliage, etc. Wood of pine or cedar trees. Roses have over 400 different scents and can even produce them on their flower and stamen. But here's the answer. Plant scents are made up from chemical compounds and amino acids called volatiles because they're very tiny and evaporate easily and float through the air. They're so small that if average human being had the same mass as the moon, the heaviest odor molecule would have the mass of a marshmallow. That's how little they are. The, the odor molecules bind to other molecules, and I'm not going to get in transcriptional code repressors and all that kind of stuff, but they turn switches on the plants on and off. Some plants smell in the day for butterflies. Some plants smell at night for moths and bats. Uh, essential oils secreted by glandular hands on the surface of basil leaves Swell up like balloons as the oils build up, releasing a scent when the leaves are touched or disturbed by the wind. And uh, we could get into more, Jim, about uh, about carbon chains with atoms and all like that. But let's just say this. Strong bitter scents in leaves deter pests like aphids and slugs, mosquitoes, and even bigger animals. Sulfur atoms embedded along the carbon chains make some flowers smell like excrement or rotting flesh because they're designed to attract flies to pollinate them. And the uh, last thing I want to—oh, and by the way, uh, Bradford pears smell like fish to attract flies to pollinate them. Uh, last thing, I, do plants smell themselves? Can plants smell other plants? 
That was that was a question nobody asked. Now that's a good one. Plants obviously don't have olfactory nerves that connect to the brain, but they respond to pheromones just like we do. Plants detect a volatile com- chemical in the air, and they convert this signal into a physiological response to defend the plant. For example, hexylene acetate, the green leaf volatile, is emitted by many plants when they get injured, and d- it deters moths from laying eggs. So... One healthy study, they found trees. They put trees uh, that were uh, that were in all these other trees. All these trees had had pests on them, insects, and some trees didn't because they were emitting these kind of odors to keep the insects off of them. And the same trees away from the pests didn't have the odors. So anyway, it's just one of those kind of things. The airborne pheromone signal warning neighboring trees to prepare for attack. So trees not only they smell, but they can smell too. Now, that was cool. That was cool. Now, I can get, I, I like a good science uh, fact and tidbit. I had to study all this stuff, and I actually aced the plant physiology. I'm, I'm not good at anything like that, but it was interesting to me, and interesting means I can remember. But anyway, uh, that was uh, answered a question asked only by Jim Rosenblatt. <laughs> can we get back to the calls? Yeah, we do. We have Evelyn <laughs> from Jackson calling in. Good morning, Evelyn. How are you today? Can you help us out? Um I'm okay. How are you, Calvin? <laughs> I'm just a little excitable today. <laughs> Good for you. Um, I was calling in about the comments about basil. Uh-huh. And um, I think you have to be careful about just pouring olive oil over basil and expecting it to stay preserved and safe. Yeah, it doesn't, doesn't but, sound like the oil would actually pr- pr- you know do much to keep like this fungus or bacteria from growing. Exactly. But you can freeze it. You can, if you spin the basil in a blender with olive oil and put it in an ice cube tray and freeze it, ah. then you can pop, pop it out and use it. All, and it's, you know, fresh basil with olive oil. You can also do that with pesto. As long as with pesto, if once you freeze it, you put a little thin layer of olive oil over the top of it to protect it from freezer burn. Okay, okay, and so olive oil will freeze. It's not. I mean, it's, I would think you know yeah. it'd be steak gummy or something, but it does freeze. And I guess also pesto doesn't it have vinegar in it. Also, no. Okay. It does, have, it does have some acid, but it's not a predominantly acid. Okay, so it would get the acid from the tomatoes. No, you don't put tomatoes in, in pesto. <laughs> what you're saying, Felder? <laughs> stick to gardening. Stick to gardening, Felder. That's the reason I was asking the question. So you can you could uh, uh, chop up the basil real fine, mix it with a little olive oil, and freeze it like you would ice cubes, and maybe put a little olive right. oil over the top of it. Keep freezer burn. Right. Uh, or like the other caller said, you can you can put it in jars and pour some hot vinegar over. It. Either way you want to go. Right. Right. It, it's been my experience. Basil doesn't dry very well. Uh, oregano does, and rosemary, but for some reason, my basil just turns black. Yeah, I haven't tried to dry basil, so I can't. I can't comment on that. It's a gr- great solution, though. I'm gonna have a. I'm gonna have a, 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 a twelve pack of basil frozen before the day is over. Now, one thing. One thing that um, I've heard is. It's best if you use a separate ice cube tray for this because the fragrance <laughs> is so strong that it can permeate it, and you can wind up with funny-tasting ice cubes. Or funny-tasting gin later. 
<laughs> right. <laughs> okay. Oh, one one question. What what percentage of olive oil to basil? You know, can you like just pack it in there and then pour olive oil over, or just a little bit of basil in the olive oil? No, you you want you want it to be um, almost pesto consistency. You want oh. it to be pretty thick with you want it to be pretty thick with it, so that you can um, so that the olive oil. Most of the freezing that's being done is the basil that's freezing. Yeah. And the olive oil is just protecting it. Oh, I got you. So lots, lots of basil, a little olive oil to it, to, till it, till you can sort of spoon it in. Exactly. Gotcha. Exactly. So it's almost, almost the consistency of pesto sauce. Fantastic. It should be a little bit thinner than that. Fantastic, Evelyn. Thank you so much. Now, can I ask you one more question? Oh, you deserve it. I have some camellia sinensis that have been in the ground for a couple of years, maybe yeah. two and a half years, and I need to move them. What's the best time to do that? Well, this would be a good time. I'd go ahead and dig the hole first and make it nice and wide because that's the hardest part. You know, as you, if, if in Clinton, if you have uh, Jackson, you, it may not be wet down deep. So dig the hole first. That may be all you want to do this weekend. But, uh, the, you know, after we get us some light fr- frost like we've had, they're ready to move. Are yours, are yours blooming right now? And by the way, folks, when she says Camellia sinensis, this is, they got Camellia sin, uh, uh, sasanqua, Camellia japonica, but Camellia sinensis blooms in the fall with little small flowers, and all the tea in China is made from leaves of Camellia sinensis. So anyway, are, you, are, are yours blooming yet? They're blooming right now. They're blooming right now, and so I was wondering if I should wait till after they finish blooming. Yeah, just enjoy the plant. Go ahead and dig the hole and just in, enjoy the plant, and uh, and then move it after we get us a, a good hard frost. Okay, that sounds good. Uh, well, now i got to ask you a question. Have you ever made tea from it? They're pretty small, so I haven't. Yeah. They're only about... Uh, they're less than two feet tall. Yeah, I put one at the Ag Museum at the Herb Gar- Doctor's Herb Garden up there this past spring, and it's only about knee high. But the, you make the tea out of the new leaves. So next year, when the new leaves come out uh, in the summertime, if you shear the plant back, let it put out new growth. It's the tiny little new leaves, you know, the size of your fingernail that you make the tea out of, not the big old uh, glossy leaves. Right. All right. Thank I'll you. Thank you, Evelyn. Woohoo! Thank you. Bye bye. Okay, all the tea in China is made from the leaves of a camellia called Camellia sinensis. The flowers are about as big as my toenail, not quite as big as my toenail. So, Java, you're scratching your head. How do we get your feet involved? (laughs) (laughs) But it's it's okay. It's it's like my daughter's birthday cake. I made her birthday cake one time, and I put a note on there that said, find the toenail. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, let's go to Anna Meridian. Mikey's get called in. How are you doing, Mikey? I'm doing fine. What? You sure that your feet weren't in your mouth? Your <laughs> <toe>? <laughs> yeah, they've they've been there. Uh, they've well, been well, there. Well, well. <laughs> anyway, um, uh, I couldn't resist that. Um, uh, uh, well, I do have a question, but first of all, I want to point out that because this is the time to do it, if you are fortunate enough to have uh, satsumas. Um, and I point them out particularly because they have a thin skin. Um, it, it doesn't have a lot of rag, as you horticultural guys call it, yeah. underneath it. 
And so you don't have to do a lot of scraping and preparation. Although I guess you could take it. I've never done it, but you could take one of those little electrical things and, you know, do that out pretty quick. But put it in, um, it's got to be, it cannot be a regular drinking water, you know, like the, the six pack drinking water kind of things. That very thin plastic. It's got to be something like, I don't know what. Um, what what's got what's, what? What do you mean water? I don't. You went from satsumas to the water. Bottle. The bottle. Okay. The bottle that you as you eat the satsumas. Yeah. And you put the peelings. You drop the the peelings into this bottle, but that's why it cannot be a thin. A, a good bottle. Water bottle. Put, put bottle. it in. A, drop yeah. the peels in a good yeah. bottle. Yeah, yeah, you know, but it doesn't have to be like an. It can be glass. Okay, okay, it doesn't okay. Have to be. okay, okay. We got it. And a then good one. add, then pour in some white vinegar if you want to use it for cleaning, or if you want to use it for eating. Use um, I suggest um, cider vinegar. Okay. Or, uh, or what you've already got from your last year. See, so you start this a year in advance. That's why I'm bringing it up now. It doesn't have to be a year in advance, but it can be in ready now if you do it in time for Christmas. Gotcha. Okay, and um, uh, and it the cleaning stuff. My brother, I gave I gave a bottle to him, and um, he 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 said that it took all of the old gunk off of the hood of our mother's. Uh, <laughs> oven stove that had never been cleaned. <laughs> it's probably thirty years. Okay, um, so uh, I'm just saying that it, this it home, will make it concentrate if you keep it for a year. Gotcha. If you don't, it will be fine. You know, gotcha. just make make up your own experiments. My question is, um, I have this ferny looking thing that grows in my yard every year, and I like it. And um, only the bottom's died down enough. I want to spray paint it, as you suggested often in in a lot of your hints. Um, Do I just go out there and leave it on the ground? I mean, leave it standing up and spray paint it and put something behind it? Or, I mean, so it can be used for re. Yeah, well, you know, spray painting is more of a concept than a recipe. And uh, what you could do, if it's pretty, is you could hold a piece of paper back behind it, spray paint the fern, and then when you move the paper away, you've got the fern shape where the spray paint didn't go. Because I've seen where in, um, I guess, in classes, like school children, they would do that and end up making like a little Christmas tree. There you go. Yep. That's a good idea, Mikey. But no, it doesn't matter where it is as long as you, you just notice what's behind it when you're using spray paint. That's my tip because you, you think that, that the, the uh, Satsuma oil will clean an oven. You have no idea what spray paint will do to a car hood. Now you're doing too much, Felder. <laughs> <laughs> Does that help, Mikey? I don't find out. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we appreciate your call this morning. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Bye. Okay, so I learned how to do two ways to, to preserve the, the the basil. One is to chop it up real fine, mix it with some olive oil, and put it in dedicated ice cube trays. Another is to stuff it in pretty bottles and pour some hot vinegar over it. You you asked and they came. Felder. Yeah, and also this the African blue basil, which is my favorite. It's one of my favorite flowering plants in the garden. Period. It's just a terrific plant. Not a dense bush. Everything. Lots and lots. Of, and I'm gonna say these flower stems are uh, six eight 
maybe 10 inches long, loaded with lavender flowers, great plant, purple stems, green leaves. It is a superb pollinator plant. Looks great, grows real easy, tolerates bad weather, and it roots like ringing a bell. How about that? Yeah, now that's because uh, what you said, you made cuttings in two days. Yeah, little little tiny roots. And here they two days after that, they got roots I can see even after cataract surgery. <laughs> By the way, we're not going to be live next week because it's Thanksgiving and we want to give thanks. But the week after that, you and I are going to be at Chimneyville at the, uh, the Arts and Crafts Festival. Yeah, Crafts. this I believe this is our second year. You you are a frequent um, frequenter of Chimneyville, but this will be our second year bringing MPB and the Gestalt Gardener there. We had a blast last year. They had a tent set up. Out, and the Chimneyville, the, the, the craft center, this is a Mississippi Craftsman's Guild. I mean, we're talking about high-end and funky stuff. Oh, and yeah. Unbelievable, different types of crafts a lot of garden suitable stuff uh but anyway it's it's right it's not far off the natchez trace they've got a sign on the natchez trace that says chimneyville uh uh uh, uh, mississippi craftsman's guild yeah it's a great it's a great facility put it in your gps you'll you'll run right into it and if you come on december 1st you might want to get there a little early because parking spaces go it's it's always jam-packed well the 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 tent was we broadcast live it was packed too and uh uh, a friend of mine named ellen painted a a picture of me standing by the truck with all the flowers and all in it i have a picture of me and you with standing by your truck with the picture of you and your truck (laughs) (laughs) anyway but we're going to be broadcasting live starting at nine o'clock so if you want to if you want to be part of that we will have fun you need to get there before nine make sure you get parking and all that and make sure you block off enough time because this year we're doing something a little different uh, oh, and that's we're right. bringing on next stop mississippi live right after the gustav garden you can have both of those folks on this at one time you jermaine camille oh. it's, it's gonna be a fun time <laughs> and java well, I mean, you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. Anyway, that's going to be fun. reason I'm uh, going on about this now because we're not going to be able to talk about it next week because of Thanksgiving. You know, the, our, our annual traditional harvest festival. So, uh, anyway, hope to see some of y'all that uh, on Friday, December the 1st at Chimneyville. But we're going to go live at 9, so get there before then. We don't want any yahoos jostling the chairs while we're broadcasting. <laughs> <laughs> Yahoo's a welcome. Live, yeah, yeah, Yahoo's yeah. a welcome. Yahoo's Just don't jostle welcome. chairs. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I uh, brought the, the basil. I learned a lot about volatile oils and uh, and what makes things smell good or stink. Uh, thanks to Jim Rosenblatt. Thanks to Carla. Thanks for the the uh, the folk scientists, the folk experts who helped us out with this today. And I look forward to having a good time good time uh this week is gonna be a great time to get out and plant stuff it is a good time to plant stuff maybe not basil but oregano thyme uh kales pansies violas snapdragons garlic there's so many things that want to grow over the winter if you plant them now big pot little raised bed flower bed whatever Get you some daffodils and and a kale plant, put them in a pot and have fun, especially if we got kids. So we always love talking about gardening. We're here every Friday morning, one of many Gestalt Gardener pro, program, uh, MPB programs. Java, appreciate you and and uh, and Abram. 
we're going to take a, a, a break. Dan Wheel, Intern Wheel. Wheel, that Intern Wheel, that's right. And uh, anyway, see y'all next week. Take take a good take a kid to a farmer's market. Show them how to do what we do best, folks, and that's get have fun. But show them how to get dirty. See y'all next week. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Thank you.